because it was an enormous cave, it's full of something that you can only find in a cave. It's full of stalactites and stalagmites. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Hey everybody, Mason here. Welcome to the show. You know, every once in a while we get to interview somebody doing something really unique. Um, Not that everyone's story isn't unique, but... You know, we get a lot of people doing biking stuff, running stuff, uh, hiking, stuff like that. But every once in a while, we get someone doing something really kind of once-in-a-lifetime, one-of-a-kind type people. And today's episode is like that. Uh, So we really hope you enjoy. But before we get started, I wanted to remind you that if you would like to become a patron of the show, you can support us for $1 a month, for 5 bucks a month. Or for however much, you know, we're not going to limit it by any means. But we want you to know that it really means a lot to us. And we uh, really thank you for the support of the show. We work really hard on this and want to continue to. Life Outside the Box episodes are now free, but there will be patron-only material. And you just have the satisfaction of knowing you're making this thing happen. So thank you. Now let's get back to this awesome episode. Hey friends, Kurt here. We've got a fun show today. I have Erica Bergman on the line, and Erica is the chief pilot and operations manager for an expedition that's coming up to the bottom of the Blue Hole in Belize. And along for the ride will be some people that whose names you would probably recognize, including Richard Branson and Fabian Cousteau. Fabian is the grandson of the famous Jacques Cousteau, of course. There will be other scientists along, Dr. Andre Droxler, who's a geologist, and Erica herself is an oceanographer, so this is a scientific journey to the bottom of the blue hole to do a lot of different stuff that I'll let Erica explain. Erica, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Oh yeah, it's our pleasure. This is fun. Uh, First of all, let's give a little bit of background on what the Blue Hole is, and then we'll talk about how you're going to get to the bottom of it. Yeah, the the Great Blue Hole is this really cool spot. It's essentially a sinkhole in the bottom of the ocean. Basically what happened, if you dream back, you know, 400 million years, the sea level was much lower, about 500 feet lower. And as the ocean rose, big formations like this cave eventually filled up with water. And as the water reached the roof of the cave, that limestone was deteriorated so much that the roof of the cave collapsed and formed a perfectly circular hole right at the surface of the ocean. So it's not only beautiful to look at, but it's very, very deep and completely um, unexplored with human eyes. Oh, very fun. So you are going to be piloting a submarine, correct? Down to the bottom of this? That's right. Yeah. So we have uh, a submarine here. Uh, We build submarines at Aquatica Submarines, but we also do expeditions like this. And so the the submarine we're bringing down is called the Stingray 500. Um, It goes 500 feet deep and you can picture it like a, a big glass bubble. It's actually made out of acrylic and it seats three people. Wow. Very cool. Well, let's get the backstory on Erica. (laughs) And then we'll revisit what you're going to do here. This is going to be a lot of fun. 
Yeah, it so should be good. You're in Vancouver right now, and are you Canadian or are you from the U.S.? I'm I'm American, but uh, uh, the, my favorite joke is that I'm living the great American dream. Move to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where I am right now. I'm in Vancouver, B.C., working for Aquatica Submarines. Um, and it's, yeah, it's a beautiful part of the world with some pretty extraordinary underwater habitats. Um, a lot of our dives out here are on these really unique ecosystems like glass sponge reefs and we have ancient six gill sharks and just beautiful kelp forests and things around here. So it's pretty amazing diving right here in Vancouver. But of course, there is also the draw of the crystal blue waters of the Caribbean. Oh, yeah. Now, are you a scuba diver as well? If I have to. <laughs> uh, yes, I can scuba dive, and I do. But uh, I generally am kind of spoiled, and I like to be warm and dry and have infinite bottom time. Nice. So I, pref I prefer submarine. Okay, is this submarine tethered to a surface vessel that supports it, or is it kind of a a self, how would you say it? Yeah, it's well technically it's it's referred to as it is an autonomous vehicle. It is untethered, um, but it is piloted. So it's not a it's not a robot and um it's not programmed. It is actually piloted just like a helicopter, but we're not attached to the surface in any physical way. So the submarine um crew gets in at the surface, we close the hatch, we dog it, which means latch the handle. We turn on all of our internal life support systems like oxygen, carbon dioxide scrubber, uh, lights, and, and then we flood our ballast tanks the same way that a scuba diver would flood their BCD. And down we go into the deep, dark, cold abyss. <laughs> That's fun. Well, especially in the Pacific Northwest, the water up there is really cold, and divers up there have to use dry suits and, and all sorts of things just to stay warm enough if they're scuba diving. So by going in a submarine, you get to avoid all of that discomfort, I guess. Yeah, and eat a granola bar. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So how long do you think the average dive is? How long do you stay down? Mm, we usually stay down... Uh, there's no bathroom in the submarine, so as soon as someone, as soon as their coffee hits them and they gotta go to the bathroom, that's about when we come up. Um, usually a couple hours. Uh, we can stay down. Some of our dives are up to seven hours if we're if we're down there waiting um, to see some six gill sharks, that kind of thing. They are day trips, but they can be several hours long. Mm. Um, and the submarines, it's super comfortable. It's the entire sphere that's the pressure hull, what we like to call the people tank is acrylic, which is very insulating from the cold water outside. So we can dive in a t-shirt for hours underwater and be perfectly comfortable. That sounds like fun. So how many dives have you personally done now? Um, well, in this particular vehicle, I just had just about my 100th dive. Um, but I've actually piloted, this is my, my um, sixth submarine. I've piloted vehicles all over the world. Um, and yeah, somewhere around 250, 300 dives now. Nice. Well, I mentioned you're an oceanographer and I'll share this. I am an RF engineer by trade, but not by degree. Are you an oceanographer by degree or just by trade or both? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm an oceanographer by degree, 
Um, however, I also uh, am an, I'm an engineer by trade. So I, as I was studying oceanography, I was putting myself through school as a diesel mechanic and a ship's engineer. So um, the kind of engineer that changes timing belts and cleans out bearing casings. <laughs> Neat. So you are very familiar with all the mechanisms required for, for these submarines to work then? Yeah, well, each submarine is pretty unique, which is why it's so much fun to to see different vehicles. But yeah, the, before I ever piloted a submarine, um, I was 21 when I when I got hired for my first uh, submarine company. And the first thing we did was spend six months completely pulling the submarine apart piece by piece, inspecting it, repairing it if needed, replacing it, and then rebuilding the submarine um, essentially from scratch. And um, by the time we had completed that in-depth review of, of the subsystems, piloting it was was uh, no big deal at that point. We knew, we knew it like the back of our hand. Yeah, I can see. I, I imagine that would be really, really useful. So you said you've done diving all over the world. Name some locations. Oh, gosh. Um, Papua New Guinea is one of the most beautiful places that I've ever dove a submarine. And it's also this enormous repository of World War II history. There are shipwrecks littered across the seafloor from this um, huge Japanese outpost uh, in these places called Ley and, and Salamoa, and um, big American warships came through there. Um, so there's a, there's a whole museum on the seafloor just kind of waiting to be discovered. And the only way to see most of those historical sites is by submarine. So Papua New Guinea is is um, particularly interesting to a North American audience for that reason. And then it's also just the biology is stunningly beautiful. There's um, all the big sport fish that that you want to see, but instead of having to to catch a marlin on a line, you you just see it whip past you with its sail up. Hmm, that would be fun. Yeah. Yeah, so Papua New Guinea is one of the one of the the my favorite places, but um, also a lot of uh, diving in Cuba, which has a, the Gardens of the Queen on the the southern side of Cuba, which um, covers four percent of Cuba's coastline. It's an enormous marine protected area that that they've been really really diligent about. Uh, it's beautiful to see, and then um, yeah, uh, all over the west coast of the United States and Canada. Well, one thing I was just thinking about, the Stingray 500, you said, can go to 500 feet. And, you know, a a scuba diver that is deep dive certified that has all of the, you know, the the extensive training would still be hard pressed to get to 500 feet. Not that no one could, but that would be the very, very rare dive. And you can get that deep in a submarine. So that takes you places where almost no one gets to go. It it really does, and and it's the the difference is bottom time. Um, there are really good technical divers who can dive 500 feet deep, but they're um, probably doing it as saturation divers, um, which means that they're 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 working, so they're probably on a, a pipeline or an oil rig, and um, they're you know cutting and torching and and just working. They're not down there for recreation, and. Um, Anyone else who made it that deep recreationally might get just a just a couple of minutes of bottom time. And um, yeah, the, the bottom time that you get in a submarine when you can just sit down on bottom and turn the lights off and turn all the fans off and sit and watch the bioluminescence kind of perk up and then 
you see larger and larger creatures come out and eat the bioluminescence and then bigger fish eat the bait fish and then then you see the sharks come out looking for the big fish that ate the bait fish that ate the bioluminescence the only way that you can really appreciate that is by having you know hours to spend at that depth so that's why the submarine is really cool okay so what is one of the craziest things that you've seen down there oh gosh you know the craziest things are the things you don't see (laughs) <laughs> it's that it's that flash out of the corner of your eye that's just in the darkness right beyond the lights. Um, but the some of the most interesting things that we do actually see and go inspect, uh, one of them is right here. The reason that we're in um, Vancouver at this spot is because there are these glass sponge reefs. And they are this insanely weird animal. Um, they look like old, I don't know, trumpets like a bouquet of weird lumpy trumpets and um they're actually the the first life form on <laughs> planet earth i just made my coworker laugh by calling them lumpy trumpets um <laughs> I get it. It works for me. Yeah. uh they they are 400 million years old as a species they're the first animal life form on planet earth and we we, we barely know anything about them um they're about four or five feet tall as a kind of each little bouquet. And there are these gardens of them that are, you know, four or five football fields long. And they're just packed with glass sponge. Um, so unlike um, sort of terrestrial mammals, we are a carbon-based life form. Um, they are based on silica. They are, build their bodies out of glass. And mm. it's probably because the volcano is so close to the river here that that silica from from volcanic eruptions over the the last few millennia has been feeding into you know, the water here, and so this life form has developed that can build its body out of silica dioxide, build okay. it out of glass. Now I have to ask the question: Then does this organism have DNA? Oh, I'm, yeah, it's an animal. It is an animal. So I uh, I used to, I guess in science fiction, people used to talk about the idea of a silicon-based life form or a silica-based life form. The idea that you can get chains of silica molecules that are similar to carbon chains and it might be possible to have, instead of a carbon-based DNA, to have actually a silica-based DNA. But this one is still has DNA. It's just its body is built out of the silica compounds. Is that right? I, 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 you know, I, I, I need to learn more about them on that fundamental level. Um, they're still pretty, um, understudied, but I believe that's the case. Don't quote me on that. That's my research project as soon as I get off the phone with you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, you're fascinating me. And one of the great things about the depths are all the unknowns. There's so much that we don't know about the oceans, and that's why I find this so fascinating to visit with you, because you get to see things that almost nobody else gets to see. And I, So how lucky are you? How did you manage this to get the job where you get to pilot these submarines and do these sorts of expeditions all the time? Oh, gosh. You know, people ask me that, and I don't take a single dive for granted. I really, really love what I do, and I feel like it's my my job, my duty, um, because I have this opportunity to have such an extraordinary experience to share that with people. And, and that is the joy is sharing it. 
Um, but I also don't feel like I just get to fly submarines. I really, I really created, um, the career that my, my dream career. And, um, it's not, it's not a, it's not an easy industry. You know, the, the ocean is, um, unpredictable and, and can be very chaotic and, um, it can be quite dangerous if you're not a hundred percent prepared for things. So we work really, really hard to operate very safely and still accomplish pretty extraordinary mission objectives. And I just love the combination of those two things plus storytelling so much that, that this is the ideal job for me. And I, I just keep putting one foot in front of the other, um, to make more and more, um, dives and expeditions happen. Well, let's talk a bit about this planned dive to Blue Hole in Belize, which you described earlier. So first of all, let's talk about the people that are going to be on board. Um, these are not small names. These are people that people know. So how did this come about? <laughs> well, um, so the, the founder of Aquatica Submarines, uh, Harvey Fleming, he has always been really interested in submarines um, and and just sort of created this this company um, in the last uh, six or seven years to really become an ocean explorer. Um, and he had this vision of, of finding things that have never been seen before. And um, the, the Great Blue Hole expedition has been a vision that he's pushed for, that he's really excited about. And we're all here as a support network for it. And um, he's gotten a couple of pretty amazing people on board to join us for the dives. One of them um, should be familiar to most people who uh, love the ocean is, um, yeah, Fabien Cousteau, the the grandson of, of Jacques-Yves Cousteau. Um, so he's going to come along. He's got a, a nonprofit organization that, that he's excited to kind of expand using this. And then we also have our... Um, our big fish in our little pond here is uh, Sir Richard Branson himself is coming down with us on a submarine dive. Um, and, and so we're, we're super excited to have both of them on board to host a live stream that we're going to do from the bottom of the blue hole. And, um, and then while this is happening, so the, the live stream from the bottom of the blue hole from inside a submarine with Fabian Cousteau and Richard Branson is an opportunity for people to see into the blue hole for themselves. And then once that live stream is done, we'll actually be staying for two more weeks to conduct really extensive scientific survey of this extraordinary geological phenomena. If you want to get into backpacking, but you're not sure where to start, go check out campcrate.net. Campcrate can help you plan the backpacking trip of a lifetime and supply you with all the rental gear you need. Simply go online and choose your gear and your itinerary. Campcrate will then ship your gear anywhere in the U.S. When your trip is finished, use the pre-printed return label to ship the gear back. It's that easy. Campcrate. Rent. Explore. Return. So what do you expect to find down there? Well, we're hoping, so we've got a geologist on board. His name is Dr. Andre, Jox, Andre Droxler. Um, he's from Rice University. Um, and he's hoping to take this, this sonar scan, this high definition sonar scan that we're doing and, and really identify the terraces that, um, are at different levels in the blue hole. And the size of each terrace is a pretty good 
indicator for how long the ocean was at any particular level. And, and the way that Andrew Droxler has described it to me is that um, we have this sense right now that that with climate change that the ocean is rising steadily and gradually and um and the idea is to look at the blue hole which has a record of climate change over the last 400,000 years and the the terraces actually tell a different story they say that um the ocean is pretty steady for many 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 um epochs and then in the next epoch it it um it rises rapidly so in a period of maybe 100 or 200 years, the ocean can actually rise dramatically and then level off again and then rise dramatically. So we may that might be a good indicator for what we might see in our own human time frame right now as we start to look into how climate change is going to affect the planet. So so that's one of the scientific goals. Um, and then um, in in particular, the hole is really interesting. Because it was an enormous cave, it's full of something that you can only find in a cave. It's full of stalactites and stalagmites, um, which can't form underwater. They only form in caves from the, the slow drip of water over, over eons. Um, so we're going to go explore and map these, these stalactites and stalagmites. Um, and uh, some of them may be tilted. Which, if you think about the way that they form in terms of gravity, a stalactite can't form tilted. It must have shifted afterwards. So there's some interesting stories about tectonic plate movement um, that we can glean from from these these sh- tilt shifted stalactites. And um, yeah, that's gonna be that. The geology is gonna be. I, I think mind blowing in the way that only enormous time scales can be. And then in the, the forefront with that as the foundation, there's also the extraordinary life of the Caribbean. So we have a marine biologist coming, Galen Rosenworks, and she's interested in, um, there's a resident hammerhead, hammerhead shark that's supposed to live in there. We're going to look for that guy and, um, a really unique bacterial species that apparently, uh, loves loves the blue hole so we're gonna go look at these uh the bacteria and then of course the the fish and things that feed on that bacteria now i looked here a little bit earlier and it says that the blue hole is 407 feet deep at least that's the known depth right and that it's a little over a thousand feet wide so it gives us a feel for the scale of this your submarine can go down to 500 feet and so at 400 feet do you feel like you're pushing the envelope or is it is it okay Oh, no. Yeah, that's a great question, actually. At 400 feet, we are absolutely super safe. Um, The submarine is is rated for 500 feet, and that's after its its, its extraordinarily extensive um, testing and and its own safety rating. The pressure hole that the passengers sit in, that the three people sit in, is actually has a, a five times, six times safety factor on it. So that pressure sphere could go much, much, much deeper um, and still be perfectly safe. We operate with such a high safety margin that we never take the submarine over anything beyond um, 500 feet, even though it could actually dive much deeper. Mm, okay, and that makes sense. Have you ever had a mishap with a submarine where some sort of a seal 
started to leak or something scary like that happened? Never. Uh uh-uh. uh. It's never happened. Um, I think back in the really early days of submarines in the, you know, the 70s and early 80s, while they were still, you know, pushing the envelope and working submarines really, really hard, um, there were a few incidents that happened. But every time an incident has happened, um, the entire industry adopts um, the safety factors that will mitigate that eventuality in the future. So we have the benefit of an entire history of submersible operations to keep our own operation very safe. And in my um, eight and a half years as a submarine pilot, um, I've never felt at risk in that way at all. Mm. Our, our biggest concern actually has nothing to do with the engineering of the submarine itself. Um, that's a, that's a pretty easy one to, to do very safely. It's entanglement. What happens most of the time with submarines is, um, there are so many ghost nets and lost fishing lines and, uh, you know, human garbage on the sea floor that can trap a submarine the same way when you see a, a, a seabird or a sea turtle trapped in plastic in the ocean, the same thing can essentially happen to us. Uh, we can get entangled and when you get entangled in a lost trawl net that weighs a hundred thousand pounds, um, our little eight thousand pound submarine is never going to be able to to detach from that. So if that ever happened, we would have to send down uh, an, a rescue ROV to cut us out. So um, the only risk factor is is basically entanglement in in old fishing fishing gear, lost fishing gear. Wow. <laughs> so that does sound a little bit spooky. The rescue ROV to cut us out. So the, the submarine you take down doesn't have any sort of an arm that can detach the entanglement or anything? Um, no, this particular one doesn't have it um, constantly mounted. Uh, most submarines, even if they, if they do have an arm constantly mounted, they wouldn't be able to reach where the entanglement is anyway. Um, it's not like the... <laughs> It's not like it can reach anywhere. You know, it has a, a limited scope right in front of the submarine working scope. Um, and so our vehicle, like most submarines, it's a kind of a platform for whatever we're doing. In this case, we don't need an arm. We're not taking any samples. Um, we are taking only photographs and sonar scans. So rather than arms and baskets mounted on the front, we're actually mounting this um, high high-end scanning sonar. Uh, by Kongsberg, and it's going to be mounted right in the front of the submarine where you might imagine arms would go, and it's going to scan the wall in in the, the sort of like our mission objectives are basically to take the blue hole, imagine it like a pizza, and then cut it into pizza slices. We're going to start in the middle, scan a pizza slice, rotate, scan the next slice, rotate, scan the next slice. Um, and but but of course we're not just working in two dimensions. We have we have the up direction. So now you take that pizza slice and grow it up. So we're scanning up the entire wall in a, in a sector like that. And then we stitch all of those slices together into one 360, full 360, high, high level sonar scan. Wild. Yeah, yeah. that'd be really cool to see what you find there. I, yeah. I'd like to see those tilted stalactites. That would be really cool. Imagine it in a headset. If you could put on a headset and be kind of in the middle of a submarine and, and look anywhere as you go up and down in the blue hole and, and, and look at these stalactites and um, imagine the, 
the history and the rising of the ocean for yourself. Wild. So you mentioned before we hit record here that there's also a dead zone at the bottom of the blue hole. What's that about? Yeah. So we know from um, CTD casts, which uh, is a an oceanographic term. Uh, CTD is a, a small scientific device that measures conductivity, temperature, and depth. Um, so that's salinity, basically, temperature and depth. And um, that those casts have indicated that there's a hydrogen sulfide layer um, low down in the hole. And hydrogen sulfide forms when you have the, the, the decomposition um, of, of sulfates by sulfur-consuming bacteria. And when these bacteria consume that nutrient, they create this sort of hydrogen sulfide layer. And if you've ever smelled a volcanic plume and it smells like sulfur, it smells like rotten eggs, that's what this is. Only um, instead of in gas, it's in solution. And it's a certain density, so it, it forms a layer in the hole. And um, apparently, uh, I've heard from divers in other cave systems that it's kind of pink. So we're looking forward to finding this hydrogen sulfide layer and, and diving through it. And what's underneath it is, is a complete unknown. Below the hydrogen sulfide layer, there may be no oxygen left because of this, um, you know, the, the denitrification cycles of bacteria and, and, and sulfur bacteria. So whatever has fallen deep into the hole could be perfectly preserved down there. Um, and we're not sure what we're going to find. Neat. <laughs> well, Erica, how many dives do you think you'll be doing between now and then closer to home? Um, well, between now and then, we've actually just completed a big survey here at our glass sponge reef. So we're actually going through and doing um, a, 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 a kind of a compilation of those dives. And even though the dive in Belize is until December, it's actually time for us to start packing up the submarine and shipping it down takes us a long time to get it down there so um so between now and then we're we're pretty much just doing our our prep dives in the caribbean wow so how long will you be down in the caribbean um i think that our belize expedition will last uh three weeks it's uh two and a half weeks we'll arrive a few days ahead of target so that we can set up our our very cool live stream technology and then we'll actually conduct a live stream do the first dive to the blue hole live on air. And then after that, we'll do um, a week and a half of pure scientific sonar survey and, and um, biology and exploration. Do what we do best. Will the results of the survey be publicly published somewhere or do you know yet? Yeah, actually, the, we're doing the survey as a public service. Um, there is no single map of the blue hole there is um, no full map of the hole and we're delivering it to the belizean government um, the blue hole is actually a unesco world heritage site and a national historic monument so we're delivering the scan to the belize government so they have a record of um of, of what one of their treasures is which is this hole in the middle of lighthouse reef and where they choose to to put that scan is is kind of up to them, but we're hoping that it's, um, you know, just an online and a digital portal that that anyone can 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 go in and, and collect the data and use it for for their own interpretations. 
Fascinating. And I love what you were talking about with the sea level rise. So you'll be able to see the terracing that has formed over the the millennia, right? Yeah. And it's fun because people often these days get caught up in the vernacular of the political rhetoric. I'll just say it that way. We start talking about global warming or climate change. We tend to forget that the earth has always undergone climate change and always will. Of course, climate change is real. It always has been. So the question is, if there will be any indicators of what were the triggers for the climate change that were in the Earth's ancient past. That would be really cool. Are there any indications if you might be able to find a kind of a causal? Um, in this, uh, on this particular survey with sonar, that's not, a, that's not what we're after. And uh, I think the, the time scale is, is too broad for seeing any, um, you know, small scales change. And, and really the, the, the history of human beings on our planet is, is a pinprick in the history of, of our world. And so what we're looking at is, is much longer time frame. Uh, I don't think there's any triggers that we can particularly spot through this particular type of scanning. Um, but one of the interesting things that, that Dr. Andrew Droxler, um, kind, is kind of correlated, might be coincidental, might be indicative. Um, has to do with the collapse of the, the Mayan civilization. Um, and, and what you can tell through these, these two or three different types of, um, oscillations basically is what, what Dr. Droxler refers to them as these oscillations in climate change. Um, as they, you know, rise and fall, sea level rises and falls and create storm cycles. And, um, he was able to find some evidence from a, a core that he took out of the blue hole that correlated with a, a very large storm cycle around the, the Mayan civilization demise, uh, which led to a really extreme drought. And, and that could be why that great civilization, um, you know, reached their timely and or untimely end. Um, and so you think about that, okay, a, a civilization that got really big, all of a sudden the storms, started getting a lot worse. I don't know if that sounds familiar. Um, and then they reached an enormous period of extreme drought and, and, and that was, that was it for them. So right. that's, that's an interpret, interpret as you will. But, um, I'm pretty excited to hear some more of Andrew, Andre Drockler, Drockler's, um, you know, interpretations of that kind of thing and take him down on some dives in the hole and finally let the geologists not only not only see a place that he has predicted will be terraced in a certain way, but actually participate in, in the currents and the movement of the ocean that are, that are forming those features. You know, that's a question I meant to ask earlier. Do you expect strange currents down there? Is there like a fresh water source that's gushing through or are there any ocean currents that get into that hole? Um, it's a good question. Again, the, the, the cave system, as it formed, you know, when the ocean was 500 feet lower, is could be extensive. There's only so far into the cave system that that scuba divers have been able to go. And um, as a submarine, we we also we won't be able to, you know, thread the needle between these stalactites and get deep into the cave. But there, uh, there certainly could be aquifers or things, you know, deep in these deep in these cave chambers and um we have a an instrument on our submarine again that ctd we have a small one on our submarine and as we dive up and down the water column we'll be collecting data about the salinity and the temperature 
And if we encounter anything unusual or abnormal, we'll be able to to collect that, stop at that site, look at it, explore it, and um, and bring that data back to interpret and, and see if there's something like that happening. I don't think there's going to be any large currents down there. The hole is pretty well protected. Any big surface currents will just kind of go right over the top. But that being said, you know, you never know what you'll find. <laughs> so what types of currents is the submarine fast enough to deal with? That's a great question. So the submarine is, we, we like to call it an elevator, not a race car. <laughs> um, <laughs> it goes up and down uh, two and a half to three knots is just about our, our max speed. So if you walk quickly, that's about two and a half to three knots. So the submarine could do some really effective drift dives, but if it had to fight a current, it, it that's not a very strong, well, it's a fairly strong current, but there are lots of currents stronger than that out there. Yeah, we're really careful with our dive planning that we never put the submarine in a position where it can't um, transit against current. If that were to ever happen, we would what we call scrub the dive or we would be planning on surfacing anyway. When the current picks up that much, the submarine, it's like a sail underwater. Um, flying a submarine is, is kind of like flying a plane. You're, there's air currents for an airplane. And, and of course, you feel turbulence on an airplane. You go above it and below it these days. Um, but in a submarine, you, you get into different movements of water down there. And either pilot accordingly, which is part of the fun and, and part of the challenge, or come up above it um, and go back during the next uh, slack tide, generally. Mm. So what is the ascent rate and the descent rate for your submarine? Yeah, our our submarine, um, we generally limit it to about uh, one foot per second. We can go quite a bit faster than that um if if we if we wanted to we've done many many um training sessions where we practice emergency procedures and one of our practice emergency procedures is uh what's called a, a rapid ascent and um when the the surface is perfectly clear and our our topside support boat gives us absolute clearance then we'll do a an emergency drill where we rocket up to the surface um and we can we can rise uh, fast enough that we we beat our own bubbles. Um, so as the bubbles are rising up through the water, the submarine just just blasts right through them, and and we actually breach the surface in the submarine, and then and then settle back down in the water. It's pretty fun. Um, so we get we get going, you know, a meter to two meters a second. Yeah, so you get a little <laughs> roller coaster ride in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's awesome. It's, it's really fun, um, but we do it under very controlled conditions. But you know, we of course we have we have a good time too. Okay, so how fast can you go down? Um, down's a good question. Down, we're a little bit more limited because we are compressing our air rather than letting it expand on its own. Um, that is essentially how we go up and down: is the the expansion and compression of air. Um, when we completely vent our tanks, we let all of the air out. Um, we reach kind of max descent speed around one to two feet per second. And if we're going to, you know, a, a full 500 feet, we usually slow ourselves down about a hundred feet off bottom and then 
gradually approach bottom, reset our buoyancy so that when we really reach visual range of bottom, we're perfectly neutral um, and we don't disrupt the environment. We don't want to come, you know, blazing down and then use our thrusters and stir up silt. So we come down very gently the last hundred feet or so. So an entire descent to the 500 feet usually takes us about 10 minutes. Mm, you know, I'm thinking about all the science fiction stories and thriller movies and things that have been written about stuff like this over the years. What an exciting time in human history that we can really do it now. Oh, it is exciting. And it's it's really, it's all thanks to the the engineering that has come before that has allowed us to to engineer the vehicle the way that it is today to make it so extraordinary. Uh, the um some of the other submarines that I pilot um more typically it's kind of a, a a metal tube with with small port lights you know very small windows that you can see through and in the case of the Stingray it's this giant glass bubble and you it's like a being a kid at the aquarium only the aquarium is literally everywhere you look. Um, you you can you can look up you can look down you're not straining your neck um you have you have sort of the the space to be aware that you're in an environment that you're not built for but also the comfort that you can forget that it's there and and it becomes this very calm meditative um peaceful space and and people will will have all sorts of interesting conversations down there and then and then somebody you'll look look up and, and look out the window and go, oh my oh my gosh, I completely forgot we were on the bottom of the ocean right now. Uh, <laughs> it's it's a it's really neat to see people have that realization, and um, I'm pretty excited to take uh, Richard Branson and Fabian Cousteau down to the bottom of the blue hole and um, enjoy their enjoy their reactions and and see it for myself, of course. By now you certainly know who Bent Gate is. That's for a great reason. Bent Gate Mountaineering has been sponsoring the Adventure Sports Podcast almost from the beginning, and we really appreciate that. They've made it possible for all the great shows to continue coming your way. We want to say thanks by reminding you to go to them for your backcountry gear. If you live in Colorado, then just stop by their store in Golden. If not, go to bentgate.com. They have what you need from the latest ultralight gear to the tried and true classics for climbing, hiking, and camping, like Arcteryx, Hilleberg, Nemo, Western Mountaineering, and many more. Need advice? They have you covered there, too. Their staff are passionate adventurers who can offer help from their own experiences. Bentgate also hosts lots of events and speakers. Check out their website to see the schedule and to see all of their products. Help take care of the Adventure Sports Podcast by getting your gear from Bentgate Mountaineering. I have to ask this question for our listeners, right? It's, it's just begging to be asked. Do you have to be an oceanographer with piloting experience for years or as rich as Richard Branson or as famous as Jacques Ives Cousteau's <laughs> grandson, you know, Fabian? Um, to be able to go down in one of these things? Is there a way for the everyday people to experience this? Yeah, that's a great, a really great question. Um, I'd say it's half and half. Uh, we are doing everything in our power to make it an experience that, that people can, can attain and go do. It might be the equivalent of, you know, giving up your winter ski trip to, to Whistler or Aspen 
in exchange for going on a, a submarine expedition. But um, yeah, the the purpose of us building these stingray submarines is so that people can go underwater and see the world for themselves and live it through their own eyes. So um, yeah, we're 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 making submarines kind of an attainable thing for people and you know bringing the world underwater with us that's fun yeah i i read something a while back and i'm going to misquote this completely so no one quote me on this i'm wrong okay <laughs> but just for for perspective uh people say we know more about the surface of the moon than we know about the floor of the ocean or something like that oh that's you know, that 100 true that's 100 maybe even true. that's true about mars yeah, we have we have the moon mapped down to the meter and we have Mars mapped down to the the tens of meters. So if you took um what state are you in? Colorado. You're in Colorado. Okay, so if you took if you took uh Denver, Colorado, the entire city of Denver and you put it on the moon, I could pick you out sitting in your chair in your house. Um if you put Denver, Colorado on Mars, I could very certainly see your city block where you're sitting. If you took the entire state of Den of Colorado and put it on the sea floor, I'd have no idea it was even there. Hmm. <laughs> that's that's well put. Yeah. So how fascinating. I mean we have people like Richard Branson who's trying to get people to space. But it, it seems like the oceans should be more accessible. But there's so be. little that we really know. Yeah, I think the biggest factor is it's a pretty simple one. Um, you can see space. Anyone can look up and see through air. It's a very thin medium and you can see space and have giant dreams about becoming an astronaut. I mean, I have dreams about becoming an astronaut. Um, but when you look at the ocean, you see this flat, opaque surface and we all just kind of feel like it ends there. And and that's just not the case. When you go underwater and you look up at the surface of the ocean, you realize that that the skyscrapers on land are nothing compared to the massive skyscrapers and mountain ranges underwater. It's just uh, the the limit of visibility. I think doesn't doesn't capture as many people's imaginations quite as easily. And and that's why I think these kind of stories and and live streaming the way we're going to do it um, gets people excited and, and coming up with their own expeditions that they want to do um, as much as as they would want to go to space. And um, and in, indeed, it helps us as a, as a human species grow because 90% of the habitable space on planet Earth is underwater. And, and there's there's definitely a way to... to coexist with the ocean in a way that's going to benefit us for 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 the long run Mm. you know i was just thinking about if you did become a space explorer instead of an oceanographer then you would have a very similar experience if you're in some sort of a shuttle traveling through space then it would be very similar to being in your submarine and if you were in some sort of a mars rover traveling over mars you would also be in some sort of a contained habitat looking out. It would be a very similar experience again, except you're not going to see the plethora of life that you get to see in the oceans. So in a sense, you've got the best of the two worlds, I would say. I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. 
And the, the cool thing about the technology that we're taking, particularly in this expedition into the blue hole with these, um, these, these sonar heads is, um, well, the, the sonar technician that we're bringing, um, uh, Mark Atherton, he, he would probably describe it quite well, but it, it allows you to see beyond the limits of, of human sight. And so when we have this complete 360 scan of the hole, you'll be able to experience that hole. Basically, imagine draining it, removing all of the water so that there's nothing between you and, and the walls. And so you can see as far underwater as you could see on land um, by doing this sonar scan and stitching these things together. So I'm, I'm most excited about sharing that scan when it's complete to give people an opportunity to see through water, mm. basically. It's like so a superpower. A question. Oh, yeah, it'd be really, really cool. So what you're going to learn from this by doing this, this high definition sonar, right? But what you're going to learn from this whole experience then is going to be a stepping stone for something else, I'm sure. Any top secret plans even farther out on the horizon? <laughs> oh, yes. We have many top secret plans, but I'd have to open the hatch and toss you out of the submarine <laughs> if I told you. <laughs> okay. Well, I get it. I have to ask this one, too. Do you ever have nightmares that something like a, a blue whale rams you or a giant squid grabs a hold of your submarine and starts wreaking havoc on you or anything oh like that? Oh, my gosh. I wish. I feel like I would be such a good author. I would be, like, better than Stephen King if I could have those kind of nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm foiled by the fact that I know how the submarine works and I know the ocean so well that... um I know that 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 that's just uh, the the vehicle is is too safe and that's not going to happen. But we do have our 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 neat encounters with the six gill sharks, which find us absolutely fascinating, and squid in particular find us absolutely fascinating. And they will come into our lights and 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 kind of bounce off the acrylic and ask us questions almost the squid biologist I took down on a dive in Florida was once describing all the body positions of the squid to me and they have this body position called J position you can picture it I'm sure and and for them it, it it's a question it's it's them being curious they're they're bumping the window in this J position going hey what are you what are you doing here can we hang out it's a very friendly position and We'll go up and down the water column, hundreds of feet up and down and up and down, and they'll just follow us and keep asking questions and changing their body positions. They're so communicative. It just it just reminds you that as complex as we think our human language is, there are there are life forms that have been developing language for so much longer than we have even been, um, you know, a, a two legged standing mm. bipedal creature. Um, and, uh, yeah, all of a sudden you realize English might not actually be the best way to communicate. <laughs> you start looking, you start looking at these, these animals communicating by light and by, by chemical smell. And you realize it's probably a pretty extraordinary, um, uh, conversation going on out there. Oh yeah. Wouldn't it be fun to be able to really understand it? And be able to understand what all these different creatures are trying to tell us. I tell you, when I see pictures of animals from the deep, you know, they are more foreign than any alien that we that Hollywood can come up with. <laughs> they are just some of the most bizarre things down there. 
And I think how fun it would be to just be able to tap into a little bit of that mystery. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Mm. it, it, it is fun. And when you, when you discover a, a new species, it is, it's an extraordinary feeling and, and it happens so often and it's mind blowing. We have this sense that the world is, has already been explored. All of the great explorers are, are long dead and gone. Everest has been climbed. The moon has been walked across. Um, earth exploration and it is done. And then you go on a, a single dive in a submarine in a part of the world and you're, you're down several hundred feet down and you might discover two or three new species on every single dive and you, you, you run out of people to, to name them after. Um, yeah, exploration is, is far from over. It's, um, it's just underwater. How fascinating. You know, I'm going to stretch our, our poetic minds a little bit here, but humans have long looked at water as some sort of a metaphor for death. Mm. And it's because people drown and because there's a surface that for, you know, millennia, we couldn't really penetrate more than just several feet. That was about it. And so we have things like the river sticks you have to cross over and, and you know, all these sorts of kind of morbid ideas behind water. And I think a lot of that uh, is is why some people get hydrophobic, because it's the unknown that's so scary. It's what's below that surface that I can't see. But you're entering into that realm now and bringing back experiences. And I appreciate you for for sharing that with us and helping us to understand that mystery a little bit. You ever think about those sorts of uh, thoughts when you're jumping in your submarine and starting a dive? Um, well, yes, I, I tend to be one of the <laughs> the more poetic pilots. I, I get made fun of a little bit because I'll, I'll wave and say, Goodbye, surface world. <laughs> because we're we're entering the 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 new the new world, the the larger world, the more inhabited world, the more diverse world. Um, we're actually entering the the majority of the planet, uh, and it is it it's just so gratifying to to be able to see the world from that perspective, to see it from below, and then it makes you appreciate the the terrestrial life in in new and unique ways i'd say and and so if there's any opportunity even you know come submarine diving with us absolutely and if you can't come submarine diving with us um yet <laughs> then you know go for go for a snorkel because it's not um it's not the water i think that terrifies people yeah it's just that dark blue surface that you can't see through and as soon as you put your eyes underneath you realize um, that it's not scary at all down there. It's, it's like a, it's, yeah, it's, it's a bold new world. I love it. I love it. So once again, how can people track with you? So the company is yeah. Aquatica Submarines, you have Facebook, you have upcoming live stream discovery channel event. What's going on here? Yeah. And, um, we also have, uh, we, we like to play on our Instagram, um, so you can check us out on Instagram. It's uh, Aquatica, A-Q-U-A-T-I-C-A, subs, S-U-B-S, Aquatica subs, um, on Instagram. And uh, as soon as we're doing uh, live stream stuff or we're on expedition, we, we love posting on there. So that's a really fun place to follow us. And um, yeah, we have, a, we have a Facebook page. So whenever we're making announcements, 
um, things go out through there. And of course, if you're interested in coming diving with us or learning more about submarines, you can check us out on the web at um, aquaticasubmarines.com. And yeah, we just, we, we love feedback. So a lot of times on Instagram, we'll, we'll do stories where we ask people where, where we should go diving. And, um, we, we really like I, the ideas that people have because again, the ocean is so big. There's no way for any of us to know all of the amazing deep potential dive sites that your grandmother told you about when she was sitting in her chair by the fire, you know. Oh, there's this story about this spot. And um yeah, tell us your grandma's <laughs> your grandma's secret dive site stories. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, and for us, when you get to meet up with Sir Rich and, and Fabian, then tell them to come beyond the Adventure Sports Podcast so they can tell us how they like diving with you. That would yeah. be awesome. Yeah, sure. <laughs> That'd be fun. All right. Well, hey, thank you so much for your time today. Wow, it's fun to just get a little peek into that big, huge, mysterious world that's right here on planet Earth. So I I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Me too. And I hope your listeners did. Um, hey, guys, adventure well. Come down diving with us. And yeah, it was really fun to chat with you. I'm, I'm looking forward to diving this great blue hole and can't wait to share the story when we when we're on our way. Oh, fantastic. And for all the listeners out there, did you ever think about this as an adventure sport? It could be, you know, here's another option for you. Until the next show, find your option and get out there and have some fun. Thanks for listening, y'all. Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to follow us on social media. And give us a call, 812-MAIL-POD, M-A-I-L-P-O-D.